let's, let's, let's go ahead and get into this. Uh, shout out to Amelia for the graphic, the greatest sermon part one. Y'all can think I'm preaching the greatest sermon. That's cool, but really I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount. That's a nickname for the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon. But, you know, if this happens to be the greatest sermon you've ever heard, I'm just saying. You know what? Prince Joshua, God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious unto you. Amen. Come on. I don't remember all the rest of it. I grew up in Mormon church. We didn't say that stuff. Yeah, so anyways. (laughs) Uh, So. God has given us word, and we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount over the next three weeks. We're going to start off with uh, chapter five today and really kind of get into a lot of preliminary topics, but I want to start just a little bit before that, right? So in the sermon, it, Jesus is showcasing to us, right, what is his father's kingdom, and, and, and essentially, what is his kingdom, right, because he's God? What does it mean to be a citizen of my kingdom, right? I, I explained this uh, a while ago, but the Babylonian Empire, when you would approach the Babylonian Empire... You go up to the border of it, right? Borders are important. I'm sorry, people don't like to hear that, but especially when it comes to kingdom, it's the domain. Uh, this is something that I own. When you step over the line, these are the rules and the customs of my land, right? And that's just how it rolled. And so when you go up to the border, right, to the dividing line of the Babylonian Empire, right, they had these things called Rosetta Stones, which is more than just an overpriced piece of software you can buy to learn a language, do it once, and then let go of it, right? Amen. I actually got it on a website that was not Pirate Bay, but it was something similar. Listen, you can't indict me for that. It's not illegal. It's only illegal to upload to it. I did this back when I didn't know Jesus, okay? Back off. And I was trying to learn German. I did one session, and I was like, I'm just going to go play Halo. You know, that's just how it is. And uh, I got more out of Halo than I did out of one session of German with Rosetta Stone. But when you go up to there, there's this giant slab known as a Rosetta Stone. And it was written in different languages of the region. And what it was was all the laws and all the customs. So essentially when you walked up, they had this giant stone, and it's like, I don't care where you're from. There's a language here you're going to understand, or someone in your party is going to understand. And you better understand our rules and our customs if you want to be a part of this kingdom. And essentially what the Sermon on the Mount is, and many things that Jesus teaches, this is a Rosetta Stone. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been established as king by Matthew in the first chapter. The whole genealogy, it's just so boring. I get it. He was born of this person, of this person. Matthew's speaking to a Jewish audience. I spoke with uh, Aaron Rosenberg about this, and I asked him, I said, what is the significance of Matthew chapter 1 with the genealogies? And he says, oh, it's important that they know where Jesus came from, because Aaron has a lot of Jewish family, so he understands the significance of the Jewish mindset, the Jewish mindset being my lineage is important. So what what is Matthew saying? The lineage of Jesus is King David, is Abraham, is Adam. Amen. I can directly link Jesus here to the first man and all of the kings in between that. I can directly link Jesus to all these people. He is the king. When the king speaks, he speaks on behalf of the kingdom. He's bringing his law, right? And that's an important thing to understand. Though we are not held to the law of Moses, what we do understand in the word of God is we are held to the law of grace, right? The law of the Holy Spirit, the law of love. There's different words for it, but it's a new law. And we are going to hit that up in a, a, a couple paragraphs. We are going to hit up what that new law is. But Jesus is presented as the king. When, when the wise men come, they're looking for the king, the birth of the king, that even the star's herald is coming. Meaning God even went to the thing that people use for divination to worship something that is not God and basically proclaimed, greater than your gods that you try to look for in the stars is the king of heaven who is coming. Amen. 
And then we begin to move forward, and Jesus goes forth, and there's a man preaching about him, saying, he's coming, he's coming, the king is coming. And he says, I am not worthy to tie his sandals, meaning I'm not even worthy to be a slave who's not even a Jew. I'm not worthy to be a filthy dog, Gentile slave in his household. That is how unworthy I am, and he is coming to take away the sins of the world. And when he comes, he's baptized. The Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, Behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. And he goes into the wilderness. He goes into the land of Moab, where Israel failed back in the times of Moses. And he begins to redeem, through 40 days of wandering, the failure of the people of God. And he begins to quote out of Deuteronomy to rebuke the devil and show how great the kingdom of God is, how great the king of God is, how, how great that, 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 the king of God the God King Jesus, not the King of God. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I was talking too fast. Anyways, how great he is. How when Satan comes and says, no, 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 if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus is like, bro, you have no idea what you're doing right now. You, you, you are the dumbest thing that has ever lived. But Jesus, of course, sometimes he's nicer. I don't know. I feel like he was kind of nice to Satan right there. It was a little weird. And then he whips people later. I'm like, come on, Jesus, what's that all about, right? But it is what it is. But he's just like, bro, like, like no, no, no. You, you have no idea what you're talking about. All authority has been given to me on earth, in heaven. All of it is mine. Who are you to tell me what I can have? And then when he comes out of the wilderness, he goes into his ministry. John the Baptist is sent to jail. And if we look at Luke, he actually goes to a synagogue. He opens up to Isaiah, and he begins to read about how the, 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 the dead will be raised, and the blind will be seen, the poor, right? All these people. And he looks at them all, and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing this day and then he goes out after they try to kill him and he collects his disciples and he begins to preach and to walk in the power of God and that takes us to um, uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 and he went throughout all Galilee right the place full of fishermen and farmers who are dumb who are idiots who can't think that the high priest looked at and said who are these guys right they're uneducated so he, he wants to be uneducated right because he went to the foolish people to build his kingdom um, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom, the, the salvation that God would bring. That is the preeminent message of the kingdom of God and what is attached to it by the words of Jesus. Repent. Jesus has died for your sins, now repent. That is the message of the kingdom. As Pastor West said, right, like, hey guys, we won the war. When the Bible says that they triumph, that is a picture of in the Roman Empire, when, um, like, like, like Caesar, you guys ever heard of Caesar before? When Caesar, after he beat, I think, very King Gedericks right up in the north, up in the top of Germany, when he brings back all of his armies, all of his legions, right, and they're going through the streets of Rome, they would have this king in chains led by slaves because he's a dirty dog that the slaves have to lead him through the streets. And there's Caesar rolling through, and everyone's throwing things at him, and there would be a slave next to him whispering in his ear, you were but a man, you're but a man. But Jesus doesn't need that, right? And they're going through, and what are they showing? That's known as a triumph, and they're showing that this guy, Caesar, triumphs over this evil, Gallic king. So here we go. Jesus has led all of the demonic armies, all of the demonic entities before us, and, and that is what the gospel is saying, is Jesus has triumphed over sin, over death, over the grave, over hell, and that is the gospel. Now repent. That is why the Bible says, fall broken upon the cornerstone, or the cornerstone will ground you in the powder. What is it saying? Hey, you have the opportunity to fall on your knees before this God who is greater than every power that has ever lived. And if you think you are better than it, you will be ground. 
understand there is, there is a meaning in here. It is not simply Jesus loves you. It is Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want to do this to you. But understand, if you think you are better than God, God is God, and God is a king, and God is just, and God will have victory over you if you decide that you don't want to repent and come his way. And, th and that's a major issue. So that's what he's bringing out. He's saying, hey, guys, you have the opportunity right now to enter into my kingdom to not just be a servant, but as he says later on in the book of John, right, I now call you friend. To say, you can be my friend, and you can stand with me. You can be seated in heavenly places with me. Where I go, you can go, and, and I will prepare a place for you in a house of glory. Amen? But if you don't, then you will go to a place never made for you. The Bible says that hell was not made for man. It says it was reserved for the devil and his angels, which means God's intention has always been for mankind to dwell with him, to not be separated but to dwell so much so he sent his son Jesus. And that is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing this gospel forth. And if we fully understand what's being proclaimed here, he's saying, guys, I have come to save you and set you free. Stand with me. Stand with me. And be humble. Amen? Amen. So as he's preaching this gospel, he begins to bring power. He says, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Going down into verse, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, right? This is the same section right here. We have to understand the, the chapters and all that stuff. And the little, you know, this, my top part says the Sermon on the Mount. And sometimes it works. Okay, it's a different part. We're, uh, three weeks have passed. No, nothing's passed. Seeing the crowds, right? These people have followed him. Jesus sees the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And I want to show you guys kind of what, what, what happens here at the end. If you go to chapter 7, uh, the last two verses, which I believe are 28 and 29, yes. And, 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 and sorry, so he says, he taught them saying, and then th this is kind of the end product. This is, this is what happens. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So something happens here where Jesus opens his mouth, and whatever happens over the next three chapters is so mind-blowing to these people that they're just shocked. This teaching that Jesus is about to bring, it, it, it rivals every teaching, every custom, every rule they've ever heard. And, and so obviously there's something significant here. That Jesus is about to do. So, so let's get into that, right? I'm going to go ahead and pray before we, we get started with Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your holiness, God, and your beauty. God, just how amazing you are, God, that you meet us here in this place, and you use us, God, and you speak through us, and you speak to us, God. Uh, we bless your name, God, that you would choose us, God, that, that you would die for us, Father God, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, all these things I'm talking about, really, I think this sermon series, right, I, I, I get three weeks, I should be happier. This is probably like, like a 10, 12-week uh, sermon series. There's so much in here, but we're just going to roll with it, okay? Um, the Beatitudes, right? They, oh, everybody loves this, right? Uh, so this is just the best part ever. Uh, this, is, this is great stuff, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to gloss over it, okay? I'm not going to lie. We're going to roll. We've, we, we've heard this a million times, but, but I am going to hit this up. Um, 
He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and it's important that this is where Jesus is starting off. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right. And then he goes forth and he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Or daughters, whatever you want to do, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You didn't do something wrong. You're blessed. That word blessed means happy. You should be happy you're being persecuted, right? The, the apostles in uh, Acts chapter one of those chapters in the beginning section, right? They leave after they were beaten and they're praising God through the streets. Thank you, God, that we got beaten. And I'm like, you guys are psychopaths. <laughs> you guys are masochists. What's the matter with you? God, I don't know. That's a bad look for your kingdom, God. What the heck's going on there? But apparently not. What do I know? I'm but a man, right? What the heck do I know? And, but, but apparently not. Apparently it's, it's amazing to be persecuted for the things of God. I, I encountered a bit of that. A lot of my family no longer had anything to do with me when I walked away from Mormonism and I became a Christian. But you know what's so awesome about God? Uh, he began to reconcile my family back, back, back to me. It was really incredible. But for a period of time there, uh, they, they laughed at me. I was ridiculed because I was being an idiot. <laughs> like, what? Only the teachings and revelation of Joseph Smith and the prophets of God are, are true. Don't you know that the Bible is, that the Bible has been compromised? Don't you know that there's been a great apostasy has led us all away, and I came to realize everything you're saying to me is wrong. Everything you're saying to me is wrong, and so I was, I was scorned, I was cast aside, but God in his goodness, as I said, brought it all back together. And for some reason in that, God looked at that and said, that's good. That's a blessing, Thomas. You realize you've been blessed by that happening to you? It didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it. The only person I had on my side was my grandpa, and I really appreciated him. Um, but it didn't always feel like it, but it was good. Amen. Blessed are, sorry, uh, let's look at this. Um, blessed, uh, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs, so the poor in spirit and the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Falsely. That's an important thing to, 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 to hold on to there. When, when, when people are speaking against you, is what they're saying right? And that's the thing I've had to talk to people about when, when, when counseling. Like, this person said this and this and this, and they bullied me and they hurt me for so long, and I've asked them, that sucks. I'm really sorry that people said that about you. Have you ever stopped and considered anything that they said to you? And I think that is just, no, we reject that immediately. How could you, that people have told me, how could you ever say that to me? My thought is, okay, I'm not saying that they were right, but do you do those things? Because maybe there's a bit of truth in what they're saying, and maybe you should repent for something and own what you're doing and repent. But what's saying here is you should make sure that what they are accusing you of is false. Amen? False. That speaks to having good conduct. And already here, Jesus is coming, and he's bringing an idea that I really, really want to hit upon. Uh, I, I don't have three points, but I do have a major thing I want you guys to get. This teaching in the Sermon, of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us... It's not about just your actions, because the Jews had that. They had their customs. He says, I'm coming to you now 
because my spirit will live inside of you. What are you like inside? And we're going to hit that more when we get into anger, when we get into lust, when we get into all sorts of these things. Jesus, right, he says, if you even think it, you have done it. So Jesus is saying, it's not simply you having self-control and not doing it. My self-control is you don't even think it anymore. I'm not there. Let's just be completely honest. I am so not there. But what can I do when I read that in the word of God? What, what can I do with that? I, I have to accept it and I have to strive towards that. Amen? And that's all of us. And so being a part of God's kingdom, it's not just acting right. It's being right. It's being right. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Amen? A thing I struggle with every single day is let that mind be in me, which be in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's, yeah, that's just incredible. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who the heck are these people? They're, they're in a very poor region. And honestly, in a region where they mix with Gentiles. If you look with the, the Decapolis, that's where um, a lot of the stuff happened with, you know, some of the Gadarenes and all those guys. And, you know, they were herding pigs. But, you know, that's not kosher, right? That's, that's not a Mosaic law. What the heck are they doing? They're mixing with the Gentiles and they're practicing with the Gentiles. And God would bring this message to these people who were not only uneducated but are compromising. And yet God would bring the message to them, right? And would tell them that if you do these things, you're just like the prophets. You're just like the prophets. Who the heck are you? You're just like the prophets. You're just like the prophets. No one's better. No one's different. Amen? Jesus actually teaches that, right? Right? That Elijah, right, he had, he had a spirit of God upon him, but he's just like you and I. Amen? So the Beatitudes are great, and the main point I want you guys to get out of that is Jesus is coming in saying, it's time to start thinking a little differently. And it's time to start rejoicing. And it's time to start counting the things you have in this life as worthless. And it's time to start right when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's a big understanding theologically there. He's not simply saying, when you go through a hard time, God will comfort you. He is saying that. But what he's saying is, is when you begin to mourn over the sin that you have lived in, you have committed, when you, there's actually godly sorrow. As the Bible says, godly sorrow is great gain. Godly sorrow is great gain. What is godly sorrow? I'm, 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 I'm sorrowful when injustice happens. Absolutely. What injustice has happened in your life? The sin you have lived in and committed when there is actual repentance. And I know this is the word nobody wants to hear, right? When there's actual shame of the things that we have done. I, I believe shame, right? Because a lot of times we look at something and we say, word shame, it's always bad. Never look at it, it's always bad. No, 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 no. To be ashamed of the things you've committed is amazing, but to live in your shame, that's bad. But to look at shame for a moment and say, God, I am ashamed of the man I have been. I repent to you. That is good, and that is the point of it, right? Just like we say condemnation is bad. Right, unless God is bringing condemnation upon sin, in which case it is just, and it's beautiful. Amen? It's ways we have to start looking at things contextually, what's going on in our life. We, we can't be so obtuse with our thinking, right? We have to really begin to look into it, seek God, and understand what his word is teaching us. So as we begin to move forward, right, Jesus brings a message out here, right? The Jewish practice was we hold it all in. People can be a part of things going on, but we make it very difficult, which is why the Jews were allowed to practice their religion in the Roman Empire because they kept to themselves, and the Romans were like, oh, that's cool. You guys just do your own thing, right? They, they had special privileges. It was great. That's why the Christians had special privileges in the old church until the Jews come out and said, you know, these guys aren't Jews anymore. And then 
the Romans are like, oh, but we didn't really care, but all right, yes, I guess, uh, you know, we can get the heck out of here, right? And that's when the persecution really ramped up, but they didn't care. And Jesus is coming in with something, and, and, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, guys, we, we alienate ourselves, but you don't realize, and I preached a whole sermon on this, right, like a year and a half ago, whenever the heck that that was. It's an amazing, just great sermon. Really, just God just moved. It was just breathtaking, truly, you know, blessed to be a blessing, right? That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> um, it says, you are the salt of the earth, right? And something I taught there, I'll bring it up again. Salt brings flavor. Salt preserves, Right? You are going to preserve people. You're going to bring flavor where they are bland, right? He begins to go on more. He says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It can't. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But why is he saying this, this to them? Because maybe he can bring that back to these people who have lost it, right? Continuing on, you are the light of the world, right? You illuminate the darkness. You are a city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are a place of refuge that when anyone's trying to get after you, you get inside those city walls, you are safe, right? Knowing that, you're on a hill. You're defended. People cannot touch you. And you are that to them. You are refuge for these lost and broken people. You, not me, not just God. Us, we are refuge for these broken people. We bring them into something greater. Why? Because though they destroy the body, they cannot harm the soul. That's why God tells us to not fear man. Which causes us to change our mindset, like Jesus said. How are you looking at yourself? They can't affect your eternity. I'm the one who gives you eternity. Why are you not more concerned with what I think, with what I've said, with what I've called you to do? And that's something I was praying about this morning. God, that we would be delivered from caring about people's thoughts towards us. I love, there's this singer named Audrey Assad, and she has this song called uh, I Shall Not Want. And in it, she's singing, and, and she, 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 she's singing um, from, a, from a fear of, of having nothing, right? From a fear of being misunderstood, from, from a fear of, of ever being accepted. And at the end, she says, deliver me, oh God. And I love it. It's so beautiful. She's such an incredible worshiper, but uh, when I hear that, I'm like, God, you're right. Like, deliver me from a mindset that I have to have approval from my next door neighbor, or even, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, I have to have approval from my dad. Amen? I have to have approval from any of my friends from high school. I don't talk to any of them except for Pastor Wes, right? You know, like when you meet someone, you're like, oh, man, man, uh, uh, I always cared about their opinion back in the day, and it just hits you, and you kind of revert back to that place. It's like, oh, no, no, you're a completely different person. You know who you are in God. How can you go on back to that person you were 12 years ago, right? God, deliver me from that mindset that I wouldn't feel that way because I'm going to bring them the message of the gospel. And if they can't accept me because they know where I came from, God, that's on them. That's on them, God, but I'm going to give them the gospel anyways. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not about works, but it is about works, right? When we put the full counsel of the word together, me and Zach talked about this quite a bit, it almost seems as though James and Paul contradict each other. James is like, what good is your faith if you don't have works? And Paul says, your works are nothing. They don't save you. But when we look at the book of Acts, where Paul is talking before James and the other apostles, we see a marriage of the concepts, right? 
that yes, it is by grace we have been saved, but our faith produces good works. And if there is no work to be proven past our faith, our faith is not proven, and we do not walk in the gospel, we do not walk in the light, our life is not changed, right? And as James says, you say you have faith. That's awesome. I will show you my faith by my works. And that's why he says that all may see your works, that they may see the goodness that God has done in your life and glorify God. And now, of course, here comes the, the big part. And, and this is where Jesus is coming in. And he's about to really just, uh, uh, I, I think we, uh, I, I said this the other day to Petros and some of the guys, but this is really a, a watershed moment, if you will, right? That means like, 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 like things are about to change. He's about to talk about the law. He's okay, guys, I know you're Hebrews. You have the law. I have the law. We have Moses. We have Moses. That's great. Awesome. Good for you. Right. When he goes up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, he, you know, God showcases. If you ever wonder what happens there when Moses and Elijah are there, uh, it is God showcasing that Jesus is greater than the law, which is Moses, and the prophets, which is Elijah. And so he comes in here and he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Right. He's not come to get a, to do away with the Old Testament. Right. Which is why he says the law or the prophets, the teachings of the scriptures. I have not come to do away with the teachings of the scriptures. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them because they speak of me. They all speak of me, right? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That's not speaking to we're held to the law of Moses. That's held to the scriptures. The scriptures will not pass away. They are not invalid. Christ has come to fulfill the law, so we are not held to the Mosaic law. But let me tell you something. The Ten Commandments got nothing to do with that. That is simply God saying, this is how you will live. And Jesus sums it up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And as Pastor West pointed out, today I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's the commandments that we live by. And in those, the Ten Commandments are fulfilled, right? We live them out fully in our lives. But as far as all of the different laws and customs of having to wear tassels on the corner of your clothing and, you know, when, ladies, you got to live out in a tent for a certain part of the month, you know, stuff like that. And you have to do your business outside of the tent because God doesn't want to walk in it. You know, all that fun stuff. It's actually in the Bible. It says, don't you know that the Lord passes through your camp and you don't want to step in that stuff? And you're like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know about that. I apologize. And that, that, that's where that's going to stop, because I got all kinds of jokes I'm bringing. Oh, I'm redeemed. You know that, Sandra? I'm a redeemed man. Amen. Blessed. Blessed going in and blessed going out. Amen. Therefore, whoever relaxes one, oh, and, and by the way, I do want to say, we'll pass from the law until it is, until all is accomplished. I, I, I will point this out. Jesus is speaking before his death on the cross, where all is accomplished. So we have to look, the law is actually accomplished at the cross. So, so, so that is where the Mosaic law is no longer something we are held to, but we observe. Why? Because it is good. And Jesus continues on, right? Therefore, with whoever relaxes one of these last, one of the least of these commandments, teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Meaning we don't shy away from the word of God. I can't tell you how many people will dismiss where God co commanded. Hear my words, because I'm not scared of it. God commanded genocide on people. He said, even to kill the infants. I do not shy away from that because God who brings all life, God who brings everything, has that right above all men to command such a thing. There's a lot more to it when we understand that 
that the iniquity of these people was not yet filled, so God took his people out of the land of Canaan and brought them back for judgment upon the people of that land because of their worship of Chemish and Molech and Baal and Ashtoreth and Dagon and all these other gods. We're not going to get into that, but understand that God gave them 400 years to repent. They did not, and then he brought judgment upon the people because God judges people, as in a whole group of people, as in God judges America as a whole. So where are we advocating for America? Amen? That one was free. God bless you all. All right. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that crazy? So he's telling guys, guys, we just have to change our minds, right? Because what, what do the scribes and the Pharisees do? They put burdens, as Jesus said, upon the people that they themselves could not fulfill. Are we doing that? There was a revelation that I got a little while ago about, um, about convictions, Every time God would speak, because we wanted to seem like the amazing man or woman of God, we'd tell everybody what God told us, you got to do it too, and we'd put it upon other people, and it just got too much. It got too much. It got to the point where I was throwing everything I owned into the dumpster because I didn't even want other people to look at certain, to read certain books because a, a book had, like, the word devil in it. And I was like, well, that's not right. The devil's not going to be glorified in my books, not today. No, sir. And no one's going to read it, so I'm going to throw it all away, right? And it's like, oh, great. I, but <laughs> Good for you, I guess, right? <laughs> and, and, and there's this thing called a, a, a general conviction, which is like, hey, guys, don't sin. That's great. And then, of course, there's personal convictions. And oftentimes we take our personal convictions and we put them upon, upon other people. And Jesus is saying, no, that's it. That's, that's done. We're not, we're not doing that anymore, guys. We're not, we're not doing that. Where is your righteousness at? Where is your right standing with God? Where is your walk with God at? Why don't you think about that for a minute? He's essentially coming against the Moses syndrome. Oh, Moses is coming down from the mountain. He'll tell us what to do, right? No, he's saying, no, no, no. I'm holding you, farmers, fishermen, housewives, children. I'm holding you to account right now. You are personally responsible for what you, sorry, I just, I I yell and I can hear myself. So I'm like, do I even need a microphone? I don't know. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you. All right. And it's like, um, he's holding them to account and he's saying, Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? That's what's important. Your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. Meaning what? Do you actually have a relationship with me, essentially? Do you actually observe these things because you want to, because they're good? Or do you do it so that you can get honor in society? Right? Jesus is coming against the mindset, guys, it's time to stop playing, is essentially what Jesus is telling these people. And we need that in church a lot, don't we? Because we can come in, put the smile on our face, but when we leave here, we're angry, we're cussing, we're throwing stuff, we're pissed off. Sometimes we go into the garage and we just punch a trash can or something like that. It didn't work out. But you know what? God is so good. He sees us in that. He loves us. But then when we come to church, are we not sharing that with people? Hey, guys, I'm really, I'm, I'm having a hard time. My, my anger's getting the better of me. I actually had to have an awesome opportunity to call up Pastor Eric and talk with him. And just really just open up about, like, man, like I'm, just, I'm, I'm really struggling with this in my brain today. And he was there for me. And you want to know what happened? Just freedom. Just like that. It's almost as though the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. Even if it's not something you've even acted upon, but it's here. As Jesus says, that's sin. So, so where are we calling people? Like, I'm mad. I'm mad. And honestly, that takes us into our next section. Anger. Oh, man, this is the part I was really like, God, help me. I don't know what the heck I'm going to talk about this, but I'll tell you guys what. Some stuff's going to happen, and as Pastor Eric says, y'all can catch me outside. I've been working out. I've been doing cardio, all right? I'm like a cheetah now. I'll tell you guys what. I'm like a mix between a cheetah and a gorilla. Yeah, dog. 
Not really. My chess game is really weak, so just, just watch out, okay? You know whose chess game is not weak? It's Maxwell. I don't know if you guys can tell. That guy is getting solid. He's standing up. He's handsome. He's not here today. All right, well, single ladies, just let me tell you guys something. Maxwell Boardman, you just give him some time, all right? <laughs> yeah. All right. You have heard that it was said to those of old. Here he is challenging. I get that this is taught to you. Hear me now, right? Hear me now. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, right? And here he is. He's about to tell them you've always misunderstood that. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. What is that talking about? The angelic hosts, the divine, the, 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 the divine, just talk to Zach about that or just read Michael Heiser. The divine council of God, you will be held to a judgment of that. The guys who were there at creation and marveled at what God did, who have lived longer than we can ever possibly imagine, that. Have you, have you ever just glossed over that and understood it? it says you'll be held before the council, which means not just God, but everybody who's in the throne room constantly worshiping him. Oh, my God, what does that mean? How could you tell me that? that? Jesus loves me. He does love you. That's why he's saying this. That's why he's saying this. As Bobby said, I don't like this is in the Bible, but it's there, right? And what did he teach us? If you don't forgive, forgiveness will be withheld to you. Why? I don't know. That sucks. Let's just forgive people, right? How about that? Hey, rather than just getting mad at God and telling him he's unfair, say, hey, God, you created the heavens and the earth, and, you know, you can make me just never have even existed, and no one would ever even remember who I ever was. Um, yeah, I'll just forgive him. How's that, God? How's, how's about that? I'll just go ahead and forgive him, right? Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. <coughs> so, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift, right? The Bible says that the Lord loves that you're forgiver. I, I, listen, I, I, I get you can bring that, but I'm going to provide for my people. I, if you're going to bring a gift to me, why are you holding on to hate for that person? Whatever they have done against you pales in comparison to what you did to me. And I forgave you so much so I sent my son to die on a cross. Isn't that wild? I know every father does this, but I put myself in that position about sending Johnny. I, 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 if I'm watching something and a baby's crying because they're in pain, I... I have to, I like close my eyes and say, I, I just can't even do this right now. I don't know what, kids just ruin you. I just, everything just ruins you now. You, you just can't even handle it. And yet God did it. God did it, right? It's like that song by Down Here, right? The how many kings, right? Right, how many, how many lords, how many fathers gave up their sons for me, right? And then at the end he says, only one did that for me. God, and that is why we worship him. That is why he is holy. Come to terms quickly with your, with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Let your sorry, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. A little bit I want to hit up here, and then we're going to talk more about anger. Um, what, what is Jesus saying here? Eternal judgment and punishment does not get rid of temporal, meaning here and now, judgment and punishment. If we do something wrong, we don't have a get-out-of-jail-free card here simply because, well, I'm a child of God. We could also go to jail, and that is 
righteous. Our sins are forgiven. We will go to heaven for all eternity. We could get crowned. We could get a robe of righteousness and the Stephanos because we're a victor. And we get our stone with a new name on it, all that great stuff. And we're still in prison for, I don't know, 10, 15 years because of the things we committed here. There, there isn't a, 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 something that says that that's not going to happen, right? And so I actually want to hit up something really quick with all my heart. Don't, didn't really know how I was going to talk about it. So I ran through it in my mind 10 or 15 different ways. I found really, really nice ways to say it. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Something happened with my sister the other day, and I was very scared because she was telling me slowly something that, that, that happened. It, it, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go, praise God, but her and her friend and I don't know if, if I should share this, but I already said it was my sister. They were, they were, they were attacked, you know. This, this guy didn't want to leave their apartment, and, and he attacked them. And uh, my sister's friend was stabbed in the face by this guy. And my sister had to fight him off, and the cops were called, and the guy ran. And my sister went into shock, and she just kind of fell apart for a little bit. And she's, she's good now. We've talked on the phone, and, you know, her friend survived. They got him to the hospital. And, you know, she told me, uh, she's like, I really hope they find him. And you know what I said? Me too. I said, and you know what else? I hope he goes to jail for a long time. And that's not unrighteous of me. That's not wrong of me. And then when I prayed for my sister, I said, God, I pray that you would find this man. I pray that there would be justice. He would be found. He would go to jail. And there would, right, there would be an accounting for what he's done. But God, that his sins would be forgiven. God, that he would come to know you. God, that he would be your child. God, that he would walk away from the life that he has lived. That even though here and now he will face judgment, that in eternity he will not because that has been put upon Jesus Christ. And I pray his life would change and he would bring that change to the jail cells and wherever it is that he is at and he would be a truly changed man. Amen. And then I began to think about, about maybe how we look at certain sins, certain crimes, certain actions and how we do not approach, we ostracize these people. I want to let you know I've, I've sat down with men who have, who have, who have killed for our country, right? right? And, and I look at that, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Uh, you know, and depending on the person that, because I've, I've talked to quite a few men. I have a lot of military men in my family. And, and you know what? Depending on the individual, they either can't handle that or they're like, yeah, you know, it is what it is, right? And then I have spoken with men that I found out later have murdered people, like Mexican gang members with tats all over their faces, praising God. And I look at them and I'm like, how many of us would have actually stopped and given them the gospel, given them the time of day, knowing what they did and not seeing them in that church service jumping up and down and praising God? Amen. This is years ago, but I saw a post on Facebook with um, someone posted. It was some Southeast Asian uh, uh, culture, and they had all these poles in the middle of the street, and they had men attached to the poles, and the people were going through with sticks and were beating the men. And the person said, this is how this country treats their pedophiles. And I was like, wow, that's brutal. But I was like, that's what you get. And then, right, it sounds great. And then I saw a Christian had posted that, and they said, praise God. And I looked on the comments and all these Christians like, praise God. Yes, they're getting what they deserve. And I, I felt like throwing up. I hate that sin. When I was seven years old, an older boy molested me in his parents' bedroom. I hate that sin. That's been committed to me. But you know what's great? When I came to know Jesus, I forgave that man. And I prayed that God would change his heart. And when someone I love was violated in a way I cannot even express to you because I do not want to put that in your head. I wanted those people to die. I prayed that there would be nothing left for anyone to remember. And in a moment of worship, God touched my heart and I said, God, please forgive those men. Please make them better. Please make them righteous in your eyes, God. And whatever happens, happens. But God, may they be your children, God. 
And so I'm sitting there looking, and I'm thinking, yes, if someone goes to jail for the rest of their life, honestly, this is something people, people may not like. I'm honestly pro-death penalty. And that doesn't mean I can't be a pro-lifer, because if you would compare an unborn child to a, to, a, to, a, to a criminal, there's something wrong with you. An unborn child has committed no crime. You can't put an unborn child to death simply because there'll be a burden on a person's life because they didn't understand that sex gets you pregnant. Okay, you know, it, it is what it is, right? And if someone wants to say the other things, that's less than 1% of actual pregnancies that are aborted. So we can talk about that later, right? But for the most part, 99% of them, it is because they don't want the child, right? So you can't equate those two. But I look and I'm like, if a person is even put to death by the judge, I still think that's righteous because they're given that authority by God. But what's my prayer? That they would come to know Jesus Christ. My, my prayer is not that they would be tied up to a pole in the middle of the street and beaten because they're a disgusting, awful human being. Because I'm a disgusting, awful human being too, but by the grace of God, there go I. So where do we meet in this? God, I pray that there would be justice. God, I will not accept that sin that they have committed. God, I will not accept that they get to walk around free and clear. But God, I pray that even though I pray that they would go to jail, that even though I pray that they would receive judgment for their crimes that they've committed, I also pray that they would stand before you as righteous, how is that possible, and why is that a problem? Because when that gets brought up, people would say, oh, you support that stuff. I just said I don't support that stuff. So where are we at? We're supposed to be better, are we not? We're supposed to be better. Listen, I'm all about Second Amendment rights. I'm all about defending the life of your family. And if you want to defend your property, that's between you and, you and God, whatever. I almost said you and me. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. Someone wants to take my TV, whatever, I'll let them take my TV. But if they're there to harm my family, I have no issues with them no longer living. Why? Because my God-given mandate is to protect my family. Amen? I've also been given that by God, New Testament, to protect the lives of my family, right? But there's differences going on here. So who do we think we are to go forward and say, yes, I hope that person is destroyed completely, physically, and not pray for that individual that they would come to know Jesus? The sins that they have committed, as atrocious as they are, the sins committed against me, against people in my family, pale in comparison to the sin I committed against God by rejecting the one who created all things and who loves me so much so that before the foundations of the earth, Christ Jesus was crucified. He always had a purpose to make a way that I could be with him. And I rejected him and I spit on him and he's on that cross because of me. I don't know about y'all, he was on that cross because of me. So where's my forgiveness for this awful human being? Where is my forgiveness? I'm not saying they shouldn't go to jail. And then I'm not saying sometimes people shouldn't be put to death. But can they know Jesus before that point? Can they know Jesus before that point? And could that possibly prevent this from happening more? Could we possibly go in and find people who struggle in these areas and say, let's teach you about Jesus and set you free? Where is that? See, that's why Jesus talks about anger. Our anger gets in the way of the gospel. Our anger stops things from happening. And he says, you need to forgive no matter what it is that happens. You need to forgive because I've placed my spirit in you. And you are refuge. You are light and you are salt. Amen. Change. I have come to fulfill the law and bring something new. I have now raised the standard and I am now teaching you how to live it. This isn't an impossible standard. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And he's saying your mind has to change. There has to be forgiveness. But he's saying, but in this life, there's also justice. And there is judgment. But pray that these people would not experience the wrath and the judgment of my father. Even Jesus says, if these people cross children, it would be better that they had a millstone tied around their neck and cast into the ocean. What happened if we prayed for these people? 
Amen? Let me tell you something. These people go to jail. Awful things are going to happen to them. That's statistically what happens. Awful things are going to happen to them. They're going to receive awful things in this life. Can we pray that they would know Jesus Christ and that there would be a change of their heart? Amen? I know that's uncomfortable. It is what it is. That's what the Bible says. And if you're upset with what I'm saying, take that to God, please. Because I don't like that. Because I thought about Cain Velasquez, right, UFC fighter, incredible man, hero, hero to a lot of people. His son, four-year-old, was in a, uh, was in a preschool. And uh, the lady who ran the preschool had her son, who was in his 40s, helping out. And for over a year, he was doing things to the toddlers. And his son was one of them. And when the man was, went before the court, they let him go on house arrest, awaiting the rest of the, of the trial. And Cain Velasquez looked at that and was like, the justice system failed my family. Something was taken from my son that can never be given back to him. And he took matters into his own hands, and he took a gun, and he shot into the car. And he didn't hit the man. He hit the man's stepfather. And he's now being held in jail, and they won't give him house arrest, and we look at that, and that's frustrating, but you know what? I really put myself in that position when I was studying this. I think I would do what Cain Velasquez did. I'm not going to lie. I think I would. I think even after saying this, I, I might, but that's sin. That's wrong of me. That's wrong of me, even though I would want to do that. That's wrong of me, and I think people would shut up, not listen to me. People I really respect would tell me I'm an awful person, and I'm this, that, and the other, which really sucks. I don't know how to reconcile that with what I've just read in the Bible. I, 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 I don't know how I can think anything else now that I've read the words of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate authority of the universe. It says nothing was made that was not made without him. Everything exists because it was of Jesus. And now he's saying this. What am I supposed to do? Well, I guess I'm supposed to forgive. I guess I'm supposed to not live out in my wrath because live by the sword, die by the sword. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches us. What am I supposed to do, God? You're supposed to forgive because I've forgiven you. But the justice system failed me. Forgive because I have forgiven you. That sucks to hear. I, right, Bobby? I do not like that that is in the Bible. I do not like that I just read that in the Bible. So what do I do? I do it anyways because that's what God has called me to do. Amen? And as we go on, right, he moves on into lust, right? He says, uh, and, and I'm going to start landing here pretty quick. He says, uh, you, uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is using a uh, certain type of public speaking tactic, which is. Love you, bro. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, thank you. He's being hyperbolic, right? Uh, not the hyperbolic time chamber. Am I right, guys? Dragon Ball Z. Okay, anyways. Um, he's, 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 he's going in and he's saying, um, it, you're supposed to hate it so much. Just like how he says, if you don't hate your family in comparison to me. Right, he's not telling us to hate my son. Like, I'm not going to kick my son and spit on him and be like, you piece of garbage, you know, just to show God how much I love him. He's being emphatic. Right, he's, he's building these things up, but what's he saying? It's in your mindset. How are you even thinking about people? How are you thinking about the opposite sex? How are you thinking about them? Constant thing where it's like, yeah, you're right, God. 
Am I respecting these people even in my mind? Because maybe I respect them here and now. Maybe I would never act upon anything, but where's my respect in my head for these people? And are they just a means to an end to me? What? God, I repent. What's the matter with me, right? And then he goes on and he starts to talk about divorce. And this is the part nobody wants to hear. I'm going to say it anyways because it is crazy in the church. It was also said whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, right? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I've heard a lot of pastors be like, yeah, don't get divorced. But you know what? It's okay because God also got divorced. And I was like, what? And they bring up some Old Testament stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, they were, like, sexually immoral against God for, like, a thousand years. And then he finally said, yeah, you guys can go do your, you know, get out. Like, Babylonians are going to take care of you guys. And, and they're not going to take care of you, by the way. You know, like, like, that's how it is. Completely different situation than just, oh, we're just, we're just so distant. Then, then bridge the gap. Do something. You be the one to serve them. Amen. And notice how it says only over sexual immorality. The Bible would teach us, yes, if there's abuse, if there's these things, there's a time of separation with the intention of bringing it back together. And us in the church have been agents of disorder in the family, telling people it's okay because we don't want them to think we're jerks. So I'm going to honor Pastor Pastor Grisavia when they counseled some individuals and they said, well, this is what the Bible says. And this person left the church, was very angry with us, and began to lie about us began to say things that we didn't say, but they said, this is what the Bible says. What am I supposed to do? What do, you, what do you want from me right now, essentially? Very nice. They didn't say it like that, but essentially that's it. What, what am I supposed to do? Are you, are, are you talking to me in my flesh? Yes, leave. Get the heck away from them. But what did God just say? What, what do we do? Do we actually believe that God is true and right? Or is it until it's no longer comfortable? It's no longer, mm, you know what? No, 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 no. I, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it this way anymore. Then are we even Christians? Then, then are we, right? Are we even Christians at that point? That until it gets to a point that we don't like, ah, oh, that's where I'm going to stop following God. We have to ask ourselves that. Because a lot of times we don't get challenged on a lot of things. But what if we come to that point? God, God, you said something. I, I have to do it. I have to do it. And if people don't understand, they don't understand. And that sucks to hear, but... You said it, so I'm going to follow you. Amen. Like I said, guys, this isn't popular stuff to hear, but Jesus said it. You ever do a red letter, a red letter study, right? Jesus was so loving. He sure was. He told us the truth. Amen. <laughs> he said, hey, guys, that cliff, wow, that's a long drop. Let me tell you guys something real quick. <laughs> and then I, I, I love these next three sections, and they're going to go pretty quick. But amen, guys, about, about marriage. Maybe, maybe here's the thing, uh, and they've actually noticed uh, the divorce rate's been plummeting because the marriage rate has been plummeting. I think that's kind of a good thing. How about we get married when God confirms to us this person is the right person? How about we wait? How about we not be full of our romantic Disney stuff? And if God says, go, go, Jesse and I were dating for seven months, and then we got engaged, and then we were married after nine months of being together, right? And we knew each other for about five years. And oh, we made it, you know what I'm saying? But you know what? We're about to hit six years, and it's been incredible. People say, oh, you guys don't know anything. You don't know anything. No, you. You suck. Boom. God is good. Amen. My marriage is doing great. Yeah, there's trials. Yeah, it sucks sometimes. But you know what? It's because I suck. Amen. So I got to work on me. I got to work on me. And guess what? As I work on me, it's a whole lot better. When I work on me, she wants to work on her. And when she works on her, 
it makes me want to work on me. Amen? And, and, that, and that's kind of where it's at. Maybe it's like when Jesus said, take the log out of your eye. I don't know, guys. What's up going on? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on here into oaths. Again, you have heard that it was said to, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Is God holy to you? Because your words aren't making it sound like he's holy to you, right? And he goes on, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And that's a quick point right there. Jesus is saying, maybe you pay attention to the words you say and understand meaning. We've lost meaning with words, and now it's changed everything, everything, right? There's this old game that came out. People don't like games or rolling their eyes and going to sleep. But it's this game called Assassin's Creed, and it was trying to be really philosophical. And you're like, bro, shut up. I just want to stab people, right? I, I'm sorry. I was in middle school. I was just like, that's all I want to do. I just, I just want to put people down. You know what I'm saying? And that's just how it is. But this guy has this line where the main character is arguing with him, and he goes, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. And I kind of sat back, and I was like, now I'm, I'm like 12, and um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you said anything just now. And one of my friends is like, I want to get that tattooed on my arm. I'm like, why, dude? What the heck did he even say? <laughs> is that blue? Yeah, that's blue. That's true. So when he says nothing is blue, that's dumb. I was 12. I figured that out, right? But Jesus is saying, like, but that's kind of the mindset we're in, right? It is how you want it, whatever you want, right? It's a, the Berger King Berger, right? It is a have it your way kind of a mindset, right? No, that's, that's wrong. Jesus is saying say yes or no and understand that what you're agreeing to. Maybe we need to start saying no to things more often. And not be afraid of how people think about us. But when we commit, we commit. And they know they can trust us. Amen. And going forward, retaliation, right? Uh, verse 38. You have heard it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, right? Of course, Gandhi likes to quote that. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. He's like, ha ha, TikTok Christians, right? It's awesome stuff. But do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you, he's not talking about the devil. You know, because he does say resist the evil one, he will flee from you. We got to understand it's talking about two different people, right? But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I've heard a terrible explanation of this, that it means that you are facing them. And you're like, that's why you turn the other cheek. They're like, okay, I'm going to face you now. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing you've extrapolated from that. I said extrapolated, right? Like, that guy extrapolated some nonsense out of that verse. You know what it means? Oh, you want to take advantage of me? Here, take more advantage of me. I don't like that. I don't, I, mm, that's dirty to me. I'm like, heck no, dude, that ain't going to happen, right? I avoid that. But it's there. What am I supposed to do? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs for you, from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And finally, and with this, the worship team can come up. I went just a little bit over my uh, time allotted to me. But yeah, the, the worship team can uh, come to the stage. Thank you very much. Um, I think this is aptly titled. It says, Love Your Enemies. Understand that Jesus is teaching the kingdom, meaning he's setting the Rosetta Stone. When you walk in, this, this would be, I guess, on God's Rosetta Stone before you're walking down the road, right? Imagine, if you will, the narrow road taking us into the kingdom of God, right, where Peter will wait to the gate, and he's going to open it up and let us in and find our, our name in the book of life, even though that's not how it works. But, you know, we're going to roll up to it. Like, just imagine that. And there's just a big stone with how we're to conduct ourselves in God's kingdom. And this would be there. And it says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When you, when you love those who come against you, that is for the purpose of being God's child because that is who God is to love those who hate him. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Going on to the next verse, we never read this one, but it's great. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is John 3, 16 to 17. That is the life pursuit of Jesus Christ, his 33 years. Very young. I'm, I'm 27, and I'm realizing, I'm like, Jesus really was not that old when he died. That sucks. And you know what? Like, like that's, that's, that's crazy. And, and that was his pursuit, and he showed that, and he did it. This is a term called keonosis, emptying yourself. Jesus died completely empty. Not in the sense that he's not God, and, and, and it, it means his purpose. It means Jesus' purpose on the earth was completely fulfilled. Not one thing was left behind that he was not supposed to do. He did everything that he was supposed to do. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's heaven. You want to be with your Father who's in heaven. You want to be a part of God's kingdom. Forgive those who hate you. Forgive those who won't forgive you. Love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And as the Bible teaches, we heap hot coals on their head. That doesn't mean we're going to burn them alive, you know. I don't know, like... um. Not, wait, is that like Wicker Man, you know, with like Nicolas Cage? Who, by the way, the unbearable weight of glory, I'm so excited to see that movie where he's playing himself. It looks so funny. <laughs> no one like Nick Cage? You guys all need Jesus. All right, Nick Cage is just amazing. And they put like all the bees, and he's like, these bees won't bring back your honey. And then they, then they light them on fire, you know, all that fun stuff. It's, it's not like that going on there, right? It's more like the whole bee part of that movie where it's like, isn't this annoying? Like, doesn't it burn when, 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 when you treat someone like garbage and they're nice back to you, doesn't that make you so mad? I was a bully for a little bit back in school. And when the kid wouldn't react to me, oh, man, that made me so mad. It made me redouble my efforts. And eventually I just left them alone. And then, then when I became a Christian, guess what? It's like, God, I was wicked. You know, God, I was broken. I was bullied. And I took it out on that person right there. And I'm so grateful that they didn't decide to, you know, come after me and beat me up. They were kind to me instead, right? Because I, I was a twig. I ain't this thing standing before you guys right that's right that's right body by top ramen amen <laughs> but I, I i i love what this says here right god is gracious and kind to the wicked have you ever thought about that for he makes his son people like to be like see he means jesus he makes his son jesus no 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 it's s-u-n right it's just stop that okay Jesus is only ever mentioned as the sun in the sky one time, and that's the sun of righteousness, right? It's a it, sol de justicia, and the, you know, uh, that's from a Spanish song. Only reason why I understand that. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Like, so what? You know, I love it when James says, if you believe in God, so what? The demons believe in God. You love those who love you? Great. It's easy to do that. Do you not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors were Jews. 
who started to work for the Romans and take all the money from the Jewish people. And they realized, hey, the Romans backed me up. They got a lot of weapons, and nobody ever beats them in battle. I'm going to take more than is required. That's why Zacchaeus says, I've paid back everything, and I've given even more because I've repented of the way that I've been, right? Amen. But do not even the tax collectors, those guys who have betrayed you, do not even they love those who love them. Right? He's calling them into question. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He says, who cares if you're a Hebrew? You're not doing anything outstanding. You're just like everyone else. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what we understand there is as God brings his law, his attribute, his nature inside of us, he begins to work on us. And that is what Jesus is saying. And that's where we're going to end for this week. We're going to pick up, again, in chapter 6 and continue on with what Jesus is teaching. And I know this is heavy and there's a lot going on here, but that's what Jesus is saying. I think that's a great place to drop it there. He says, just as God is, pursue that. And I don't mean like what the Mormons teach where they say as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may become. It's not this concept known as apotheosis, man become God. It is be like God. Who can be like God? Nobody, but God is giving us the opportunity to do it. I don't know if it's possible to be perfect, but I do believe I am called to chase it. I do believe I am called to live every day seeking after God to look more and more and more like him. I know that that is what I am called to do, so I will no longer take this and put it up and say, see, God, all fall short of God's glorious standard, and, you know, there are none righteous. No, not one. Yes, absolutely, but now I am righteous. Now I have God's Holy Spirit, and if I fall, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father making constant intercession for my sins. Amen. And I'm not going to call God a liar, as 1 John says, and say I have no sin. Of course I have sin. But God is making me able to say no because he's given me his spirit, and that spirit has self-control. Amen. Amen. Can we just give a, a shout for God? Amen. Just like, God, we thank you, Father, for everything you've done. Amen. For everything you've done, God. He makes us able to do these things and do you notice how every one of these aspects makes the world better? Did we notice that? We want this world to change. That's how. It starts with us. Amen? It's not waiting for the president to be better. I've been waiting my whole life. When I was born, Bill Clinton was president. God help us all, right? God bless that man for everything he did. God bless him, right? Okay, anyways, right? And then, and then, and then all that fun stuff. I'm done waiting on a president. I was a registered Republican mine, not my entire life. Basically, I used to campaign for Bush when I was like eight years old with my dad. It was great. Seattle is not a nice place for Republicans, by the way. And it kind of came to the point where I just looked around and I was like, dude, I'm done with these people. Elephants are stupid, man. Like, sorry, Sharon. I know you guys got a lot of elephants. I, I, I apologize, right? God bless you. But I'm like, elephants are stupid, man. Like, I don't, like Dumbo. That movie's just sad, right? But you know what's like, okay, I'm not going to get into it. Anyways, and you know, it, it be what it be, okay? There's, there's cool stuff about, I'm not going to get into it. All right, so anyways, you know, my party's the lamb. Am I right, guys? That's right. No, no, stop it, right? I know people have said that. But that's, they don't hold my allegiance anymore. And I'm not going to hold my breath on these people anymore. God is the answer. And he sent us. Maybe that means we're the answer. They're not just this church, every church around the valley. And maybe we start to understand that they've got something to give to. And that none of our churches are better for one another. We're just called here. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and just pray. Father, we just praise you, God. And Lord, we love you. God, you are everything to us, God. Help us be 
what you have called us to be to this world. Help us, Lord, be ambassadors of your kingdom. Help us stand and walk in the statutes that you have given us, God. Help us observe the law you have given us, Father, and help us be that, Lord. We love you, Father, and help us do this out of love, not out of compulsion, not out of a need to perform, God, but because we love you and we love the lost and we love the broken and we love our enemies, God, and we love the destitute and the poor, God. We love the wicked, Father, God. We love them, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.